All right, welcome to another episode of Breakfast Theology. I'm Josiah Kane. And I'm Chuck Jones. Welcome again. Something we'd uh, like to start doing is opening up our episodes to <laughs> questions and comments. So if you have a question or a comment, feel free to email us at nkbc at northkentbiblechurch.com. I'll probably have a, a breakfast theology email set up eventually, but for right now, that's what we'll do. That's NKBC, like an acronym for North Kent Bible Church. So NKBC at northkentbiblechurch.com. Uh, just put it in the uh, subject heading that this is a question or comment for breakfast theology. And if you leave a comment or ask a question, we'll try to get to it on the podcast yeah. in a future episode. Uh, guess where we are? If you've been listening, you'll know that we're at IHOP once again. <clears throat> this morning I had, oh boy. Pancake sliders. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, I had pancake sliders. It was delicious. It had three different animal products on it. So, you know, that's All always... edible, I assume. Yeah, yeah. It was delicious. What did you have? I had a Poblano omelet. And that was... I'm going to do that one again. I'll have to try it sometime. Yeah, that's good. So this week, instead of just kind of talking over a topic... Um, we are going to do personal testimonies. So this week I'll uh, do my testimony and then Chuck will do his another week. So where do I start? Well, you know the old saying, start at the beginning and when you get to the end, stop. Sounds like you've said that before. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so... I think my testimony actually starts before my beginning. I mean, I, I mean, it could go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible and work all the way there, but I'll save you the trouble that I think my testimony really starts with my grandfather, Rex Kane. Now, he was raised in a pretty hard home. His parents were divorced back in his time. That was pretty unheard of. Um, And one day he ended up wandering into Lawrenceville Church of God. He came into the building somehow. I don't quite remember the details of that. I'm sure I've been told, but I don't remember. But anyway, he was welcomed and accepted there. And his parents didn't want anything to do with God or, or religion. I mean, I'm sure they would call themselves Christians nominally, but the way they lived their lives was very much not proof of that. So he kind of set the family's pace. He changed the story for our family because he accepted Christ. He was actually going to go into the military. And... Uh, E. Richard Smith gave him a call right before he was going to go to the recruiting office and said, hey, why don't you stop by? And they ended up talking, and one way or another, my dad, my grandpa, ended up going to the Bible college instead and becoming a pastor. And and a good one. Yeah, and uh, lived his life in ministry from there on out. And growing up, he had, he made sure that Christ was the center of his family that God was at the center of his life. 
And so he raised his five kids to all be Christians as well. And so consequently, my uncles are pastors. Mark is not officially a pastor, although he went to the Bible college and he's highly involved in his church and is very capable of preaching and teaching. Um, but he just has kind of went another route um, for as far as a job goes. But my two other uncles are pastors and my aunt is married to a pastor. And so, and I'm a pastor. <laughs> Not that I was forced to be, but it kind of just worked out that way. So there you go, that's it. No, I'm just kidding. So, I was raised in a Christian home, non-surprisingly. And being raised in a Christian home as a kid, you tend to take your parents' words for things, you know? Just, that's just what all kids do. They, they trust their parents and they listen to them. And they take their word and believe what they say without much thought because they're not at that point in their life where critical thought is important. Right. So I grew up a Christian. And I was... You say by default? By default. I grew up a Christian by default. And I got baptized when I was 13. And I would say at that point, I had a pretty good idea of what I was doing. Um, I was sitting on the bed watching a documentary on cheetahs, I think. And I told my dad I wanted to get baptized. He said, okay, we'll talk about that sometime. I mean, I was still pretty young, so he wasn't sure if I was ready yet or not. So I thought he was going to be really happy and, like, really excited. He just kind of, he didn't blow it off, but he was like, let's just talk about it another time. I was like, oh, okay. So we ended up talking about it, and I ended up getting baptized. And it was, a, it was a celebration. It was a good thing. But I wouldn't say that my faith was my own at that point. I mean, I think my baptism was genuine. And I think I was in the right place in my heart and my faith to be baptized. Uh -huh. But I wouldn't say that my faith was my own. So, as I got older and I got into high school... I started to question my faith more, you know, and be exposed to more ideas. Not that I really ever turned away from my faith. I always would consider myself a strong Christian, like I was very, very convinced that that was the correct way to believe. But I started challenging that idea in high school. And of course, in high school, there's a plethora of opportunities to do all kinds of things uh, that are good or bad, productive or unproductive. And I would say mostly, mostly, not all the time, I made fairly good decisions. <laughs> but I had a lot of friends who were atheists and agnostic or... And happily now we can say they're not. Right. And so they would question me, you know, they'd be like, Josiah, this, 
this is just, you know, yeah. made up or why do you believe that it doesn't make any sense? And I'm a big science guy. I really like science and math. Um, and so I ran with that kind of crowd and that highly scientific crowd is also more prone to being less religious or at least in my experience. So I made it through high school without losing my faith, but what it did was made me more critical and also more sure of what I believed because I took a critical look at it. So I was more confident in what I was defending. That's always a good move, good step. Now, when I was probably 17 or 18, I would say is when I probably took command of my faith. Uh-huh. And I really started making it my own. I didn't want to be a pastor. I was actually pretty against the idea. I mean, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a pastor just because my dad was a yeah. pastor. So naturally, as most kids do, they want to be like their parents. But in high school, I decided I wanted to be a mechanical engineer. I really like working with my hands and making plans and science and math. And so I thought that'd be a good career choice. So I signed up for a state university around me in Ohio, and I was in my last semester of high school, and for some reason, I dropped out of the college, I told them I wasn't coming, and I went to Atlanta Bible College. Now to this day, I cannot tell you what made me do that. I still didn't want to be a pastor, though. And here I am driving 700 miles or 500 miles or whatever it is down to Georgia to go to the Bible College when I don't want to be a pastor. But for, I think, some God-powered reason, I was going that direction. And I can't tell you what made me change my mind, but I did. So I went down to the Bible College, and I got through one year, and that year was had its up and downs. And actually, I would say that first year was probably one of my most spiritually deprived years of my life. The first year of Bible College? Mm-hmm and into my second year. I was doing all the Christian things, but for some reason I was just very skeptical. Just like, just like whenever we talk about the kingdom or the, the future hope, it just sounded like a fantasy. You know, like, can this really be real? Like, who would believe It is fantastic. It is fantastic. You're totally correct. But I was like, is this really real? And eventually I came to the conclusion I do think it is real, based off a lot of evidence and faith. And mostly what it comes down to is how I've seen God work in people's lives in ways that is not explainable unless God was real and involved in human existence. For example, my parents, I, th I don't know if I told you this story, might have already told you. But my parents were short on money for a month. Oh, yeah. An unexpected bill, right? And so they got a letter in the mail 
the day that they found out that they had a bill to pay that they weren't expecting with this amount that they needed to pay that bill from a friend that they had in Florida. Now, if you think about the, the circumstances surrounding what's going on here, so this person, this is mail. This isn't like Venmo where you can like send money instantly. This is a mail, like a check that you have to put in the mail and put a stamp on and it sends for a couple days and then it gets to where it's going. So this person in Florida had God put on their heart to write a check to someone who didn't ask for money and send it in the mail. That way, on the day that my parents got the mail with the bill in it that they weren't expecting, in that same chunk of mail would be the check to pay for it from a person who they didn't ask money from. Now, if that's not coincidence, or if that's coincidence, this universe is very coincidental. Yeah. I don't think it's coincidence because that person was faithful and they prayed constantly and they were sensitive to God's calling on the heart. And in fact, they said it was God who asked them to do it. And so were my parents. They were also faithful and they prayed. And I think God took care of them because of that. There'd be no doubt in my mind. Yeah. And so growing up as a pastor's son, you are also in situations where you see God doing things through your dad, who's a pastor, and he's involved in ministry and the people's lives. So like one day we were after church, we were sitting downstairs in our house watching a movie together as a family. And my dad just stands up and he says, I got to go. No one called, no one texted, nothing. My mom's like, where are you going? He's like, I just feel like I got to go to this family's house right now. And he pulls in, and then half a second after he pulls in, the ambulance pulls in to their house. And uh, I think the older, the patriarch had passed away just at that moment. And now these were people who were on the fringe of our church who were just starting to come, and uh, they're like, how did... What are you doing here? Yeah, what are you doing here? He's like, God told me to come. You know, that's... Things like that have proven to me that God is involved in our lives. And I also have a lot of confidence in the reality of the resurrection. Just kind of looking at some of the history surrounding it, there seems to be a lot of evidence outside of the Bible even talking about the resurrection actually happening. Mostly, what convinces me is the martyrs for Jesus's, for, for Jesus, post-resurrection. People don't die for things they don't believe in. You know, they don't die for lies. They don't die for lies. That's exactly right. It's, go ahead. Well, you know, just speaking of that whole situation, uh, look, if you move back in time closer to the resurrection, it seems that if there were was sufficient evidence that it didn't happen, it would have been exposed then. But now, 2,000 years later, all people know exactly what happened. Right. Well, and you know, to discredit the fact 
and just that it's been so long. Yeah. Our picture is getting fuzzier, not clearer. Yeah, that's right. No matter how clear you say it is. All right, I'll see you later. I mean, and if you just look at the biblical, like if you look at the authenticity of the Bible, like the accuracy and the confidence we have in what it says is accurate to what was written, it blows every other book out of the out of the water. Like it's it's embarrassingly embarrassingly accurate. Yeah. Now, like I was saying, people and like you said, people don't die for lies. Like, sure, Jesus is alive, he's claiming to be a messiah. Sure, follow him. And then he dies. And then he gets resurrected. Now, if he didn't get resurrected, after he dies, that's the end of your story. Yeah. You know? And that happened a lot. There was a lot of people who claimed to be the Messiah, who had followings. And when they died, their people scattered. Yep. You know, actually, there's a Pharisee makes a really good point about this in the Bible. Acts 5.39. Let me just pull up the whole chapter here of Acts 5. So, but they heard this, that they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And then he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you propose to do to these men. For a time ago, Theodos rose up. <clears throat> sorry. For some time ago, Theodos ro rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. So this guy claimed to be a Messiah, and about 400 men were following him. But when he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. So he died, and the movement was done. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in those days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. So another guy who was starting movement, he too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan of action is of men, it will be overthrown. Like it's going to be shut down, just like these other guys. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may be found to fight against God. Now, looking at his advice, and we have the benefit of 2,000 years of history from this point, it's pretty clear that God was behind it. Because yeah. half of the population on this planet claims to be Christian, at least nominally. How many of them actually have faith? But 3.5 billion people is the largest religion in the world. It went from one Jewish guy and 12 fishermen and, you know, humble laborers. Assorted others. Right. And it rose up in one of the most oppressive empires, the Roman Empire. So by the time, I think it was around 300,000 people in the 300s. So it went from 12 people, 13 if you count Jesus, to around 300,000 in just 300 years. That's an exponential increase. And then it, kept, it keeps going and going and going from there. That to me is evidence and proof that God is behind that. Absolutely, to me. So, 
like I said, my freshman year, I was having a lot of doubt about whether this is real or not. And so it came to this point where I was like, I need to figure this out and decide whether or not this is something worth believing. And this is something that I can actually believe and be logically consistent and be okay with it. So we started learning some of these things at Bible college. I came to the, came to the conclusion that, yeah, this is real. And if it's real, I need to take it seriously. I still don't want to be a pastor, though. So my second year of college, I prayed a lot. Like, God, if you want me to be a pastor, you know, give me a sign. You know, let someone just say it out loud. Like, come down from heaven and speak into my life or whatever. Just tell me that you want me to be a pastor. And well, that'll be it. And I'm good after that. But just let me know. He didn't. So it got to the end of my second year of college, and I was like, God, if you want me to be a pastor, fine, I can stay here, but if I'm not going to be a pastor, I should probably be going, you know? I should probably go to another college and start getting a degree for something else that I can do for the rest of my life instead of spending another few years here and not having anything to show for it except, you know, I, I mean... It would be beneficial to have the education, of course. It's a biblical education. It's, as I say, an education that lasts forever. Yeah. But it won't, it won't help me, I don't think, from this point. I feel like I learned a lot my first two years, and now would be a natural time to move on to something else if I was going to not be a pastor. And so I said, fine, you haven't given me a sign. How about this? If you don't want me to be a pastor, you let me know. I'm going to start being a pastor. I'm going to head that direction. And you slam the door in my face if you don't want me to be. So I... Is that where that red spot on your forehead came? <laughs> yeah, I keep hitting doors for some reason. No. So... That's what I, I said. I prayed that prayer to God multiple times. And I said, God, if you don't want me to be a pastor, you've got to let me know. You've got to shut that door. And he hasn't. In fact, it seems that opportunities have been opened up and doors have been opened up. And it seems like God is actually leading me down this road and, and working in my life to bring these things to come to pass. So until God tells me otherwise, this is what I'm doing. So that's kind of always been kind of my life of faith. I, I would say, I think my testimony at its core is a proof of God's faithfulness if you are faithful to Him. Yeah. Now, I haven't always been faithful. I haven't always done the right things. I've sinned. I've made mistakes. I've purposefully went against God's will at times. So I'm not perfect. I'm not saying that. But... <laughs> Time and time again, I've come back to God and I've repented and I've said, hey, I'm sorry, I'm going to follow you. And I think he's honored that faithfulness. And I can see that in the way he's moved in my life, in the way that he's seemingly worked things out, not only for the benefit of the kingdom, but for my own personal benefit. For I, He's made my life better. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's because I'm a sinner running around doing whatever I want, but I think it's because I try to follow him. 
and I try to You're do... You're sitting running around doing whatever he wants. Yeah, sometimes. I'm still very selfish and fail to do what is right, as we all do at no, times. that's a box of candy. Oh, you're right. That is a big box of candy. So, when it comes to the, at the end of the day, what it comes to is, I have reasons to believe that God is real. And so, if I think he's real, why wouldn't I live for him? Because if the things in his scripture, if he's real, then the Bible is true. And if what the Bible says is true, if the Bible is true, then what it says is important. And I should follow it. And it tells me to be faithful. It tells me to make Jesus my Lord. And it tells me that if I do that, there's a future ahead for me. Yes. And that if I'm faithful and I'm willing to do what God wants me to do in this life, there's a life eternal that's coming where I'm not going to have to worry about the things of this world anymore, the pain, the crying, the suffering. So I sacrifice this life to gain one that's better. Yep. Like the old saying, giving up what you can't keep. To gain what you can't lose. Yeah. So. That's a very good testimony. I'm glad you shared it this morning. You know, some true things resonate in there that if you don't make the faith your own, if you don't struggle to find it, then it's not real. You fight for it, study for it, it is more entrenched in your heart harder to dislodge. Yeah. Whereas if it's just your dad's faith that you're carrying around, he's not here to help you out. When you run across a question or a situation that you weren't expecting and now this situation because it's new and maybe a little unique that you hadn't expected before comes along and now you have no answer. You're at your wit's end and there's nowhere to turn because you haven't exercised your faith. Yeah. And it's a good opportunity to let it fall away. But yeah. if you've struggled to find the truth and it's yours by struggle, you're not going to let loose of it nearly as easily. Yeah. It's kind of like when I went fishing with my dad as a kid. Every single time he put a worm on the hook, it stayed on. But every, it seemed like every time I put a worm on the hook as a kid, it flew off right when I cast it, because I was just poor at doing it. But eventually I had to learn how to, you know, put a worm on my own hook, so that way it wouldn't fly off Amber doesn't do that for you? I don't think I've ever been fishing with Amber, now that you mention it. So they're like, are there any holes or things that you think or any questions you have about my life or anything like that? No, you know, it, it is very evident you, when you can look back and see that God was directing or leading in your life and things moved the way he wanted them to move and you were willing to go along with it. That's, that, that makes for a good story. 
that story in the sense of fiction. Right. If there's anything I've seen in the Bible, resisting God's will and going against what he wants to do usually ends poorly for the person. It's a hard thing. Yeah. But Jesus asked Saul of Tarsus, isn't it hard for you to kick against the pricks? Yeah. And, you know, once you start seeing things and understanding things and you start working against it, that's hard on your conscience. Yeah. And it should be. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, the story of faith is the story of obedience. Yes. I yes. think one of the most encouraging passages for me out of the entire Bible is Philippians chapter 2. So a lot of people use that verse to talk about the nature of Jesus. But I don't think it's making that point at all. No. I think people focus on it and they miss what it is saying. Philippians 2 says, I want you guys to have the same attitude as Christ. And then it goes on to tell us what attitude he had. Yeah. And it goes on and says he, he was willing to die, even a death on a cross. He was willing to be obedient to that point. And it's because of that obedience that, he, that his name was glorified. It was because of that obedience that God raised him to a station where every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is the Lord. And that is what I think Paul wants us to get out of that chapter. He wants us to have that same attitude. He wants us to be obedient, yep. even to the point of death. And if you're willing to die for something, what else are you willing to do? But you know, it's so easy to say that. Oh, I'd die for you. I'd die for you. Yeah. But don't expect me to be going to church. Yeah. I think you made a really good point about faith being our own. You know, I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people who are Christians who only come to church and are involved because their spouse goes or they want to take their kids or they were just raised in it and they keep doing it without much knowledge of what they're doing. And it's kind of useless at that point. You know, you're just going through the motions. It's might as well be a Buddhist. Why bother? Yeah. If you're not taking it seriously, if you're not making your life revolve around the gospel and around God, then you're not really doing it. That's right. And I'm not saying I do it all the time perfectly. I want to make that very, very, very clear. But... It's about the attitude and the, and the mindset and the intention of what you're doing. Yeah. So that's, that's my life up until this point. I hopefully have many more years. So if we uh, revisit this at some point, my testimony may look a little different. But, and I'm sure there's holes. If you guys have any questions or anything or comment, once again, you can reach us at uh, nkbc at northkentbiblechurch.com Alright, thanks for listening to this episode of Breakfast Theology. Yes, thank you very much. Catch you we'll next time. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.